Hey there, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us for our study called Killing Me, Why Dying to Self is the Only Way to Truly Live. We think this series has the potential to change our lives. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Um, so please turn in your Bibles to, <clears throat> to Luke chapter 7. Verse 36 through 50, we'll be there in a second. Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50. Have you ever had one of those days where you feel like you're the only one? You know, like it feels like the world is going to hell in a handbasket and you're the last holdout, the only one that's really trying to live for God and do it right. I think we all have days like that where we feel lonely. And when you have a day like that, you can take comfort in this. You're not Noah. You know Noah? Noah was the one with the ark and the great flood and the animals two by two. That Noah in the Bible. You know that Noah was the only person on the planet whom God thought was worth saving? And you think you're alone, see? Noah was really alone. So on those days that you feel discouraged, just remind yourself, I'm not Noah. There really are others, see? And the three times in the Bible, we're told that Noah was an obedient, that Noah was a righteous man, and that he was obedient, that he obeyed God. He's a righteous man, and he obeyed. Those go together. So it's fundamental to the Christian life, obedience. Last week, um, Pastor Robin, he uh, taught us on that word picture of the sheep and the shepherd. And this is an important, and it's a sweet uh, phase in our relationship with God because it's here that we learn his voice. Think about the progression of the relationship for a second. We're about halfway through these word pictures today, so let's just go back real quick. We begin with potter and clay. In that phase in our walk with God, we learn and we, we come to the conclusion that God is God and we are not. That's a really important place to begin. This is the person who would say they believe in God, but they don't go to church. This is the person who might call themselves spiritual, but they really want to shy away from any labels. You know, they're not Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever. They don't want to, but they believe in God. Does that make sense? And this is really where we all begin. This is actually an important place to wake up to the reality that there's a God and I'm not God. But then with my eyes open to that reality of God, we begin to feel unsatisfied. Unsatisfied with the world because there's something more. I know that now. My eyes are open to it now. And maybe we pursue some religions, different, we seek out different things, and those don't seem to satisfy. And we learn that the reason why is because we weren't made for the world. We weren't made for religion. We were made for Jesus. And so we come to this, discussion, this, this discovery, and we find the sweetness of living in relationship with Jesus. A person comes alive here. And they begin to hear the sound of Jesus' voice. And this is sheep and shepherd. And this is an essential spot because any good relationship needs communication. I talk to him, he talks to me. And in the Bible, that's shepherd and sheep depicted. However, Jesus has more for us, doesn't he? Merely learning the sound of his voice. Well, that's good, but it's not enough. I need to learn to obey his voice. Like Noah, he heard God say, build a boat, and he did. 
you hear God saying things to you that you also need to obey. But we have a problem with that, don't we? We don't like obedience because we're rebels at our hearts. We think that we want to be free, and we define freedom as being able to do whatever I want to do. But we discover that actually that's bondage, isn't it? Freedom is not found in the ability to do whatever I want to do. Freedom is actually found in obedience. Or let me say it this way, obedience is not the end of my freedom. It's the beginning. And the foundation of obedience is love, not obligation. If it's obligation, anything less than this is slavery. It's going to feel like slavery. So the next picture that the Bible gives us to depict our growing relationship with Jesus is this picture of master and servant. And right away, you and I have a problem. Because throughout human history, and right up into the present experience, people have enslaved other people, and it is abhorrent. Can't we agree on that? That it's inexcusable. There's no justification for it. So, so we're repulsed by this idea that God would be the master and I'm the slave, I'm the servant. Like, okay, God, surely you could come up with a better word picture than that, see? Wouldn't you think? But can I ask you to do something this morning? I'm with you. I'm horrified at the concept. But here's what I know. Jesus is a great redeemer. Have you seen that in your own life? Jesus has this crazy knack for taking something that's bad and changing it and using it for good. So we can all agree slavery is bad. No, no excuses, no arguments there. But please stick with me for a second because I think that you'll discover how Jesus actually turns this thing inside out and he redeems the image. And that's not meant to excuse it. Please hear me. I'm not excusing it or glossing over it at all or minimizing it. But there's a powerful concept here that can be applied to our Christian lives if we can just open our hearts to it. Does that make sense? So we can kind of get past, if we would, get past the, the discomfort of the image and see what Jesus has for us in it. And that brings us to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. So let's just read here. I'll start by reading verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him. Isn't that great? So Simon's thinking it, but Jesus answers it. Gotta love Jesus. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he replied. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 
Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then, she, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Hmm. Now on the surface, this appears to be a story about a grateful woman. But looking a little deeper, it's about a new kind of slavery, servanthood. A slavery that does not lead to oppression, but actually leads to freedom and generosity and extravagance. It's a slavery that does not remove someone from their community, but opens the door to them to a whole different new kind of community. It's a slavery where the kindness and the generosity of the master totally transforms the one serving. This is a story of hope. If you look at it, our lives are not locked in stone. We are not trapped by our worst mistakes, nor are we defined by our biggest sins. You don't need to stay stuck as an alcoholic or stuck in anger or regret or dysfunction or whatever else it is that you've become enslaved by. There's a new sheriff in town, and he is better than good. If you will switch your allegiance from whatever it is that burdens you now and you begin to serve him instead, you can find the same freedom. This woman could be you. This story reminds me of one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. It's, uh, it's in the movie Les Miserables, the musical movie Miserables. And in the film, there's this moment where Jean Valjean, he's the main character. Jean Valjean is a criminal, he's a thief, and he has found refuge in a Catholic church with a kind-hearted priest. And one night he takes the silver candlestick from the rectory there and he steals it and he flees. And the police chase him and they find him, they catch him, and they bring him back to the priest, back to the Catholic church, to the rectory there. And they fully expect the priest to press charges against Jean Valjean for stealing the candlestick. But to everyone's surprise, especially Jean Valjean, the priest says, no, he didn't steal it, I, I gave it to him. In fact, he forgot to take this one, and he reaches for the matching candlestick and gives Jean Valjean two candlesticks. Well, this one moment absolutely changes Jean Valjean. It wrecks him. 
And he forever becomes a changed man. From a criminal and someone who was selfish and lived a life of crime, he then spent the rest of his life serving others, laying down his life. That's the power of grace. And that's what happened to this woman in Luke chapter 7. Can you see it in your mind? Can you picture it, imagine it? Jesus is at a dinner party being hosted by Simon the Pharisee. So he's a Pharisee, so he's a prominent member of society. You can imagine it's a nice house. It's a nice dinner. Simon's not serving mac and cheese and wieners. <laughs> he's, got, he's got like good food on the table. He's put out a nice spread. The table is adorned with candles and maybe fine china and jesus it seems is the guest of honor at this meal it's a nice time there's pleasant conversation the cheese and crackers are exquisite they're about to serve the salad and next thing you know this woman comes crashing into the party and she bursts into the dining room and she makes a beeline right for Jesus and she falls at his feet and she is weeping, not just little tears, not a controlled, socially acceptable cry that you dab with your hanky. No, this is like a torrent of emotion. These are snotty tears, you know? She is, she is weeping over Jesus' feet. And can you imagine what she looks like? I mean, we don't know much else about her, but by the way Simon described her, she was what he called a sinner. We don't need the details. We can all imagine what that meant. I'm guessing that she's not dressed appropriately, guessing that she smells like a bar on a busy Friday night. And this woman crashes Simon's pleasant dinner party. She's completely unaware of her surroundings. She only knows one thing. Jesus is in there. He's the man who set me free. And given what he has done for her, she wanted to pour out the richest and the most extravagant expression of thanksgiving that she could possibly find. She serves Jesus at his feet. And she's weeping, and she's wetting him, and she's drying him with her hair, and she's anointing him with oil, and she's kissing his feet. And this is an awkward moment, isn't it? Can you see the other people sitting around the table awkwardly gawking at each other? Like, well, what do we do now? I mean, hold the salad. And, and meanwhile, Simon is thinking to himself. He's got this silent conversation going on in his head. This humph. If Jesus knew who that was. If Jesus was a real prophet, he would know. He would surely tell this woman to go away. Obviously, in Simon's mind, in Simon's judgment, Jesus is not worth it. Jesus is not the real deal. Because he's obviously not aware of this woman's seedy reputation. Knowing that Jesus, knowing what Simon is thinking, and I love that part about Jesus, Jesus launches into a story. you got to love Jesus in his stories. And it's a simple one. It goes like this. You've got two people, and both of them owe money. 
One of them owes a lot of money, and the other one owes money. But neither one of them can afford to pay it back. And so the bank, in a rare gesture of kindness and generosity, decides to cancel the debts of both of these men. And then Jesus poses a question. Now, which one is going to love more? And Simon says, well, I guess the one who had the greater debt. Hmm, sure enough, Simon, sure enough. You see what Jesus is doing? The woman is the one with the greater debt. Simon is the one with the lesser debt. The truth is, neither one of them can pay it. Just Simon's not aware of it. Hers is obvious. And then Jesus, in verse 44, asks Simon a question. You see that question? That's a powerful question. Do you see this woman, Jesus asked? The truth is, of course not. Simon did not see the woman. He saw her label. He saw her reputation. He saw what everybody thought about her. But he did not see the actual woman, did he? It reminds me of something that Robin said last week. It really stuck with me, that the devil knows, my, knows me by my name but calls me by my sin. Remember that? That was so powerful. Jesus knows my sin, calls me by my name. And here's Simon calling this woman by her sin, is he not? But Jesus is calling her by her name. He restores her. He restores the dignity of the person. He forgives the sin. And from those ashes, that, from that pile of muck and stench created by our own sin, the true person can emerge beautiful, whole, forgiven, free, restored. And this woman who for years had given herself over to sin, this woman who had been defined by her sin, now for the first time is actually seen and truly loved. She's forgiven. And so Jesus is the one who calls her out of her ashes. And how does she respond? With extravagant love. With extravagant service. And what is amazing here is Whose house is Jesus in? Simon's house. So Simon is technically the host of the dinner party, is he not? And if you're a host, there are certain things that you should do. We have those things in our culture too. If you came to my house, I'm going to offer to take your coat, hang it up for you, and I'll give you a hug. Nobody gets in my door without a hug. And I'm going to encourage you to please make yourself comfortable and, you know, feel at ease. These are basic protocols, are they not? You would do the same thing for me if I came to your house. Same deal. Well, their culture had similar protocols for how you host. And the truth is, Simon didn't do any of it. He didn't wash the feet of his guests. He didn't give them some oil to make them feel refreshed. He didn't greet them with a kiss. Simon was a bad host. But... This woman was actually a better hostess than Simon, and it wasn't even her own house. Did you pick up on that? See, she washes Jesus' feet, not with water, with her tears. 
See, she anoints Jesus not with oil on his head, but perfume on his feet. He had the best-smelling feet ever. <laughs> see? And she, and she kissed Jesus. You know how in the middle, you see it in the Middle East, they kiss each other with a, you know, the, the, the two-cheek kiss, you know, very typical. That's what they would have done in Jesus' culture. But this woman, not, not that. She is kissing his feet over and over and over again, welcoming Jesus, welcoming him, bringing him in, hosting him. And this little story brings up two important observations. Well, it's actually one question and one observation and one statement. The question is this, so whose community would you rather be a part of? Whose table would you rather be seated at, Simon's or Jesus' table? And then the second one is a statement, and that's this, sinners make better servants than saints do. And I'll explain that in a second. Let's talk about that table. Let's talk about that community, first of all. Simon's community, whose community would you rather be a part of? Simon's? Simon's community is safe. It's clean. It's predictable. It's clearly defined. It's, they've got neat rules of engagement. It's moral. It's sanitized. It's sterilized. You never have to worry about someone acting out of turn in Simon's community. Everybody knows their place, and everybody stays in it. It's not a very welcoming community, but it is organized, and it is put together very nicely. Jesus' community is not that. Jesus' community is filled with people like this woman. It is filled to the brim with people who bust up dinner parties. It's filled to the brim with sinners and scallywags and rascals and renegades, scumbags and dirtbags, addicts and adulterers, losers and lowlifes, potheads and perverts, drunks and drag queens, jerks and junk bond kings, clean-cut hypocrites and crazy weirdos, self-righteous nice people and self-conscious fat kids, murderers and mongrels, madmen, morons, failures and flops. And all of them in Jesus' community, all of them, just like this woman, share one thing in common. They have been stunned, shocked, and forever changed by the grace that they found in Jesus. Isn't it crazy? I was thinking this a couple days ago about the gym, and this thought hit me. I kid you not, why does it hit me at the gym? But here, here's this thought. Some of you are going to like this. God is like a mother skunk. He has kids that only he can love. <laughs> That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, with her doors wide open to the worst among us. This kingdom is led by a king who doesn't display his power by domineering over us, but he displays his power by washing their feet, restoring their souls, quickening their spirits, renewing their minds. And then he sends them out to do the same for others. So whose community would you rather join? I think we would all agree that Jesus' community is far more appealing, and it certainly seems like the one that I fit in the most with. However, 
somehow it seems we always end up with Simon's community, don't we? So which leads me to the second important observation, and that is this, that sinners make better servants than saints. The recipients of radical grace are the ones who are best suited to give it. Jesus actually said it this way in verse 47. In verse 47, he said, He who has been forgiven little loves little. That's the negative way. You could flip that around and say the positive way is if you've been forgiven much, you love much. They both go together. But this woman, you see, she had been forgiven much. And do you see the love that she displayed for Jesus? Do you see the extravagant service, the commitment that she had to the master? She was forever his. She wasn't going anywhere. See, Simon, well, this is where Jesus, as only Jesus can do, redeems the concept of master and servant. Think about it. Jesus is the master, and he serves us. See, this is not how you and I have experienced slavery, is it? No, not at all. See, in our experience, a person with power oppresses someone without power. That's how we're used to seeing it done. But Jesus turns the whole thing on its head, doesn't he? Because he has all of the power. And rather than using it to oppress us, he uses it to set us free. We ran after freedom thinking it would be free, and it actually got us stuck. And then Jesus with all of the power, says, well, let me take my power and use it to set you free. Thank you, Jesus. You see, service to our master, Jesus, is a reflection of the love and forgiveness that we have received from him. But when I forget about the debt for which I have been forgiven, my service stops being about love, and it becomes about me doing a kind deed. It becomes about me simply paying it forward, and there's no love in that. Simon's problem was that he didn't know what it was like to be forgiven. But on the contrary, this woman was pulled out of the pit, and she was forever grateful to Jesus, and she happily served him. See, when I come face to face with my own desperation, and I receive the forgiveness and the freedom of Jesus, obedience to Jesus is not a problem. Obedience to Jesus is a problem for the self-righteous me. Obedience to Jesus is a problem for the me who thinks I'm a good person and Jesus has just made me nicer. That, That man has a real hard time with serving. But the broken me... The busted me who was caught red-handed in sin and then crashed into grace and found forgiveness, that man serves gladly and extravagantly. In John chapter 13, verse 15, you, you know the story, many of you do. It's the last night, it's the last supper, and Jesus and the disciples are at dinner there, and Jesus puts on the servant's towel, and he goes around the table, and he washes the feet of all of his disciples. And when Jesus finished washing all of their feet, John chapter 13, verse 15 says that Jesus said this, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. See, this is the flow of service to God. God serves me. I serve others. 
God serves me, I serves others. His heart to my heart to other hearts. It's how the flow goes. And if that flow at any time becomes disrupted, well, that's when I become discouraged. That's when I become disillusioned and worn out, and I get tired in it. Jesus insists on washing my feet first, and then I serve him by washing other feet. See, the secret of becoming a servant of Jesus is to let Jesus serve you. Isn't it crazy? God could command our obedience, and he inspires it instead. Think about that. Like, if anybody could ever pull rank and force people to do what we're supposed to do, it would be God, would it not? See, and yet he does not do that. He inspires our obedience instead, so that then I can say this with the psalmist in Psalms 119, verse 47. He says, how I delight in your commands, how I love them. Can you imagine saying that? Oh, God, I just love the Ten Commandments. They are the best. That was a good one, God. I love your commands. Why? Because I found freedom in them. Because I found that in obeying his commands, I actually become the me that I was made to be. Because God's commands are always, always in line with how he made you. Does that make sense? They always are. He created you a certain way. He had a vision and a plan for your life. And his commands are always about you being the you that you were made to be. So there it is. You've got Jesus. He's God in the flesh washing my feet. And he's asking me then to turn around and to do the same for others. He's asking me then to take the worst seat in the house. Ask me to take the farthest parking space, to sit in the nosebleed seats, to take the last place in line, to take the smallest slice of pie. Jesus is saying, here you go. He's telling me to host a party for people who smell, for people who, you know, might make my neighbors call the cops. Host a party, right, for people who might make me feel uncomfortable. Watch who my master is. Jesus is the friend of sinners of whom I'm the worst. Or actually, I, I was the worst. Isn't that true? I was the worst. Let me not forget that. He saved me. He served me. And now serving him is the most natural thing for me to do. Do you get it? The Christian life is not good people doing good deeds. No. No, it's, it's broken people who have found healing, who bring the healing to others. It's dead people who have been made alive, bringing life to others. That's what it is. This is the flow of the kingdom of God. So let me close with this. How do I learn? Let's just wrap it up. How do we learn how to relate to Jesus as the master and I'm the servant? Well, two steps. First of all, let Jesus serve me. I have to let him serve me. Some of you don't allow Jesus to serve you. You're too proud. You actually think that you can make yourself a good person. You think that you can fix the wrongs that you have committed on your own. Some people think that, well, you know, I've got to improve this and that, and then maybe I'll become a Christian. You don't have to do that. Let Jesus 
serve you. Let him serve you. He insists upon it. To do this, you need to confess your need to be served. You need to confess that, you know what, I'm not as good as I think I am. I'm not as strong as I think I am. It's a, it's a mysterious paradox about the kingdom of God, isn't it? That the, that the very thing that qualifies me for the kingdom is that I'm unqualified for the kingdom. Like, the very thing that qualifies you to be a recipient of grace is that you need grace. That's it. It's amazing. So the first step, exactly, for free. So then the first step then is let him serve you, and the second step then is simply let him serve through you. Jesus invites you, invites me to share his yoke. We don't have to bear it all by ourselves. We, we hitch up with him. We hitch our wagon to him, you know, and we go where he goes. But I dare not underestimate the places he might take me. I dare not underestimate the people whom he might call me to serve. So I want to just close this morning and talk to two of us here this morning. And uh, Jonathan, you can come and start noodling. It'd be great. Or Curtis can noodle, which one, whichever one gets to the guitar first. <laughs> there you go. All right. So I want to just, just, let's just address a couple of us here this morning, okay? This morning, you might have walked in thinking, this might be you. You might have walked in thinking, you know, this building is going to collapse on me. I'm probably going to spontaneously light on fire because it's been so long since I've been to church and I'm so bad. <sighs> right? Listen, um, I, I want you to know something that you're welcome here, that we're not perfect either. And, um, and we're, we're glad to have you here and you're going to find that we're a bunch of bozos. Um, and, uh, but we're thankful that you're here. And let's just go after Jesus together. I guess all we are really is a bunch of beggars that have discovered that Jesus has bread. <laughs> and I'm, I've locked on to him and I'm going to go after him every day. See? And um, now you might find, I'll warn you, you might find that some of us are judgmental. Because that, like, that's our problem. You know, we all have different sins, right? Some of us got drunk last night, and some of us are way too judgmental. Both are sins, right? So you might find that a Simon or two might look at you askew. But I hope that you understand that uh, most of us remember where we come from, and we're just glad you're here, so you're welcome. I want you to find the freedom that Jesus died to give to you. You could be like this woman who discovered the joy of freedom that Jesus gave to her. And then the second person that I want to address is maybe some of you are tired and you're worn out by church work. I know that I get like this sometimes. Actually, I've been like this a lot lately. Can I just be honest? So maybe if you're like me right now, you're like, I'm so tired of serving. I really just want to go and um, sip a cold iced tea by the beach in Aruba or something like that. That would be really great. 
Um, when you get tired and you get worn out, one of the best ways to refresh your soul is to remind yourself of this word. To remind yourself, take yourself back to the joy of your first love. Take yourself back to the joy of freedom. Do you remember that feeling you had when you first discovered the freedom and the forgiveness that Jesus offered to you? The, the weight that got lifted off your shoulders? Do you remember that sense of, wow, I can see everything new. Like the whole world looks brighter. You know, it's all different. Do, do you remember that? Come back to your first love. That, that's the solution. And sometimes that means uh, you do need to step aside from serving for a little while in order to do that. Sometimes, sometimes you can do that just and continue serving, but I just have to shift my mindset. And that's fine too, either one. But the point is, in order to restore the joy of serving, I need to come back to the beginning and remind myself I'm that woman. I was that woman. I was lost and he found me. I was blind and he gave me sight. See, that's me. And I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you did that for me. See, because that becomes the foundation then from which I serve. Remember, that's the flow. His heart to my heart to other hearts. It has to always stay that way. Let's pray together, huh? Well, that about wraps it up for today. We're really glad that you joined us. We pray that this message blessed you. If you're looking for some more information, you can check out the resources page at newriverchurch.org and you'll find the journal for this entire series. God bless you. Have an awesome day.